Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. We're in a series right now called Deadly Viper Character Assassins. And the reason we're in this series is simply this, because just like heaven is real, just like God is real, there's an enemy of your soul, and he is very real. And, and he is not benign. He's not sitting back, um, hoping things you know, go his way. He is actively involved trying to wreck our lives. And one of the best ways or most, most effective ways for him to do that is to destroy our character. And so we have to understand that the enemy of our soul is trying to destroy your character. And he's sending his, his, his minions out to get you. He's trying to destroy your family, your reputation. He's trying to take away um, your, your job, your career, everything you hold valuable. He's trying to strip that away from you. And so last week, we talked a little bit about amped emotions and how that will do that and how if we live according to our emotions, it ultimately will lead to destruction. We're gonna have problems in our lives. And this week, I wanna talk to you about the, the character assassin of character creep. Now, um, have you ever seen on television, you've seen somebody maybe famous and you've seen them hit rock bottom and you thought, how in the world did they get there, right? It was maybe a millionaire, a multimillionaire, maybe a famous athlete, maybe a politician and some scandal has embroiled them and now here they are and you think, how did they get to that point? This person had it all. They had it made. Why would they do that? And the truth is, none of us wake up one morning and say, man, how can I blow my life today? How can I just wreck it all? How can I throw away my marriage? How can I throw away my reputation? I wonder how I could get fired today. None of us do that. But the truth is, every day, people blow their reputation. People throw away their marriage. People lose their jobs. And so how does that happen? It's not because we choose that. It's not because we want that to happen. It's because typically there's a slow erosion of our character that happens pebble by pebble, day after day. After a long time, we get to the point where we make sinful decisions in our lives. Um, I think we've all, in some way or another, been at that place where we thought, how in the world did I get here? Maybe, maybe you blew it. Maybe you did something you thought you would never do and you, you hit rock bottom and you thought, wow, I never thought I would do this. I never thought I would say this. I never thought I would act this way. How did this happen? And I think if you retrace your steps and look back at, at the, the path that led you there, it wasn't just one day you decided. It was lots of little decisions along the way. And this is how character creep works. Character creep is subtle. Character creep chips away at you little by little. There's actually a, a martial arts, it's um, from Thailand, and, um, and in this martial art form, the way it works is um, the, the martial artist will attack you at your knees and below. Now, there aren't any major deadly strikes to major organs or to your head or to your torso. It's all the knees and below. So what this person is trying to do is slowly knock you out by taking out your knees or your ankles, working on your joints, where hopefully you'll end up crumpled in a pile and then they can finish you off. And this is how our enemy works in our lives many times. It's not a, a full frontal assault. It's not a punch in the face. A lot of times it's chipping away. It's taking away little things. It's eroding our character slowly over time. And there's a story I want to share with you. It's one of my, one of my favorite um, 
favorite characters out of the Bible. His name is David. And, and if you are new to church or if you are new to Christianity or you're not really familiar with the Bible, that is okay. This guy named David, you might know him because he fought the giant. He fought Goliath and killed him. After that, though, he went on to become king of Israel. And so he was known as a warrior. He was known as a fighter. He, he won many, many battles. And so we're going to look at a portion of his story where he had been king for quite a while. This is in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 11. And this is what it says in 2 Samuel 11. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. So this is what happened. It's the time of year when normally they would go to battle because they're not going to battle in the winter. Who wants to go to battle in the weather outside, right? Nobody. Nobody's doing that. Um, so they, would, they were smart. They waited till it warmed up. So it was spring. It's time to go fight your enemies. And David sent everyone else to battle. He sent Joab. He sent the rest of Israel. But he didn't go. And it says, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Verse 2 says, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. Now, I just want to set the, the tone for you because at this time, it was not uncommon for, uh, for the 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 bath to be on a roof. They would use it and let the, the sun help warm the water. Um, it made it easy to dispose of because they could drain it easily because of the gravity. And so it just made sense. And so David, um, he, he didn't go to battle, which is what he normally would have done. Um, but instead he was lounging, he was hanging out, he was taking it easy. And he probably felt like, I deserve it. I've worked really hard my life. And, and man, I need a break. So I'm sending everybody else to fight and I'm going to stay behind. So he was walking around on the roof, minding his own business, and he sees a woman bathing. And it wasn't just any woman, it was a beautiful woman. See, character creep in our lives takes a pattern. And I'm gonna walk the pattern with you tonight. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. But the first thing David did, and the first thing we do in our lives, is that David was somewhere he shouldn't have been. Now, David wasn't sinful. Was it sinful for him not to go to battle? No, no, it wasn't. But that's where he should have been. That's who he was. He was a warrior. He was a fighter. He should have been at the battle, but he wasn't. Was it sinful to go to the roof? No, it wasn't sinful to go to the roof. He was on the roof of his house, right? Was it, was it sinful to look around? No, no. And I would even say, and I want, to, I want to take this with a grain of salt, when he accidentally saw Bathsheba bathing, I don't even think that was sinful. It was a mistake, but it crossed the line to become sinful in just a moment. So the first thing we have to understand is that most of the time when we get into trouble with character creep, it doesn't start off as sin. It starts off as maybe just a bad choice. It starts off as something other than that. See, sometimes we'll say things like, um, well, it's just a little thing. Well, it's just a little white lie. Oh, it's, 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 it's yeah, it's just a little bit of nudity in the movie. We're not doing, I'm not cheating on my wife. I'm just going to coffee with this woman from the office. Is there anything sinful about that? No, it's not a sin to have coffee with someone who's not your spouse. But is it wise? Mm, probably not. So what, what happens is we start with these little decisions. We start with these little things. We start with a search on Facebook for an old boyfriend or girlfriend from high school. Is that sinful? No. But is it smart? No, it's not wise. 
And this is where David was. He was somewhere he shouldn't have been. I've told you before the, the teenage boy story. I don't know how I messed up with my girlfriend. We were parked in the, at the park at 1.30 in the morning in the dark and no one was around. I can't understand how I messed up. Well, I understand how you messed up. You were somewhere you shouldn't have been. That wouldn't have happened if you were uh, sitting on her dad's couch at 9 p.m., Right? So we go someplace we shouldn't be. We, we go there emotionally, we go there mentally, we go there physically, and then we don't understand how we mess up. And we have to understand that it's not always sinful. That very first step, a lot of times it's not sin. It's just not wise. So David was somewhere he shouldn't have been. And that's what we do as well. In 2 Samuel eleven three, 3, it says, and David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And I can imagine the man saying this to David and not wanting to offend him and go, listen, king, why are you even asking about her? She's somebody's daughter. She's somebody's wife. Walk away from this, right? Because he didn't have the place to say this to David. David was the king. He had all authority. And so he, he, I can imagine this. I'm reading into it a little bit. But he's, he's saying who she is. This is Bathsheba, the, the, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, right? Like, hello, this is really important. I, I, I know this is gonna shock you, but there are times that I've been hit on by women. <laughs> There's been once or twice I've been hit on by men. We won't talk about that, but <laughs> at least somebody thinks I'm attractive, so... I'm not gonna complain. Um, but one of the times that I feel weird around a woman that I just get a weird vibe that I'm like, oops, something's not right here. I will always make sure I mention my wife. Oh my gosh, have you ever, my wife is fantastic. My wife is great. And I will talk about my wife because I wanna make it very clear. Like, hey, this is a warning sign. Like, hey, okay, back off. This one's taken, right? And again, I don't have to do this very often. But what are we doing? We're trying to help set some standards and go, no, 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 wait a second. We can't even go there. Don't even think that way, right? Because this is what David did. David, he first, he saw her. He was someplace he shouldn't have been. He saw her, and I don't think that was sinful. But then he, he takes that next step that I think it becomes sinful, and he inquires about her. He begins to entertain an unwholesome thought. So the second thing we do is, is a lot of times we we go someplace we shouldn't be. But then the second thing David did is he entertained an unwholesome, an unwholesome let me back up. He entertained an unwholesome thought. And let me say it like this. He, he ignored warning signs. There's this man saying, wait a second, this is somebody's daughter and wife. And David's like, now nah, we're good. Bring her to me. See, in your life, if you don't have anyone who can wave you off of a, situation, you're surrounding yourself with the wrong people. You need someone in your life who can tell you no. You need someone in your life who will say, you're making a foolish decision. You should not go here. You should not do that. You should not be a part of this. You shouldn't act this way. You shouldn't be talking this way. Not in a hateful way, but in a loving way. And if you don't have those people in your life, you need to find some of those people. Because if you don't have people like that in your life, you are headed for disaster. You're headed for destruction if you're not careful. See, he began to think about the situation. He began to think about, man, she was really beautiful. And, I, and I'm sure he could justify it. And he could say, well, 
we're not gonna do anything. I wouldn't do anything. I just, I just wanna talk to her. Is, is it sinful for me to talk to this woman? I just wanna talk to her, right? And he, he justified it. I'm just being neighborly. I'm, I'm being her friend. And we can justify anything we want. We can justify all of our behaviors, all of our actions, if we want to badly enough. And I think David did that. And this is how character creep works. It slowly erodes. Because if, if you asked anyone, if you would have asked David before, hey, David, you see a naked woman, should you invite her over to your house, yes or no? He probably would have gone, uh, no. Because when you say it out loud, it just sounds worse, doesn't it? So this is a test that you can perform. You can ask somebody. You can go, hey, uh, best friend, I was thinking about finding an old girlfriend from high school on Facebook. What do you think? And the answer's probably gonna be no, right? Hopefully. Because when you say it out loud, when you understand that you're entertaining unwholesome thoughts, when you understand that you're ignoring warning signs, it should be a red flag for us. And that's the second step. We go on to see in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse five, it says, um, it says this, it says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and we take, listen to this part, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So when unwholesome thoughts come our way, when we begin to entertain things and justify things, that's when we have the power to take captive every thought. We have the power to go, you know what? This is not... Christ-like. This is not the heart of Christ for me to think this way. And it's not even about temptation. But maybe you've been wronged and you want to lash out. That's where we take captive every thought and we go, you know what? I, I shouldn't respond this way. In fact, in context, if you look at this passage, uh, Paul was responding to criticism that he was receiving about the way he preached and about the way he led. And so he just said, hey, you know what? We can criticize and we can fight back, but we don't do that. We take captive every thought. We take hold of it. We don't let our thoughts control us. Just like Todd talked about last week, we don't let our emotions control us. So we don't let our thoughts drive us that way, but we take them captive so that the thoughts of Christ can come in. 2 Samuel 11 verse four says this. So David sent messengers and, and took her and she came to him. So he sent for her and said, bring her to me. And she came to him and he lay with her. It goes on to say, then she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. This is that uh-oh moment, right? And the Bible just paints it in such a romantic way. You know, uh, when you hear people talk, they go, well, it wasn't wrong, it was an affair. The Bible, the Bible makes it really plain. He lay with her, and he sent her home. That's pretty romantic, Right? That's the way David saw it. It was, I want something from you and I'm gonna take it. And he did. So let's not paint a picture as if this was you know, some romantic moment and the, the breeze was blowing and the candles and no, this was wrong. It was sinful. It was ungodly and it didn't have to go this way. So what did David do? He, he was in the wrong place. He allowed himself to be in the wrong place. He he. He ignored the warning signs and then he acted. I don't know why people are surprised when they do stupid things. I don't know why I'm surprised when I do stupid things. When we don't guard our hearts, when we let ourselves go places we shouldn't, when we let ourselves entertain thoughts we shouldn't, and then we end up doing something stupid, doing something sinful, of course we will. I've, I've told you this before. Um, I put guardrails up in my life because I know if I let myself get in the wrong situation, I'm gonna do something stupid in my life. 
If I'm not careful, I'm gonna forfeit my opportunity to be a minister of the gospel. I'm gonna forfeit my opportunity to, to raise my girls. I'm gonna forfeit the opportunity to be married to my wife if I'm not careful. Now you go, well, that's, that seems awfully pessimistic. No, I just know my heart. And I've got to put guardrails up to guard myself and protect myself from getting to those areas. And here we see David didn't have guardrails up and he acted. He, he did what he wanted to do. See, this is the moment when you see, um, you see the press conference. And it's, gosh, I gotta be real careful here. It's not the press conference where the person says, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. It's not that press conference. It's the one later when he's quoting Psalms and he said, I have sinned, right? What's he saying? What is the person in the press conference saying? I messed up and I shouldn't have done it. But you know what? The, the moment of action is not where they messed up. The moment of action is just where everything came to fruition. Where they messed up was when they started down that path. Does that make sense? See, the moment... The moment he allowed the intern in his office without anybody else around, that was the moment he messed up. It wasn't the moment that everything was consummated in the Oval Office. Okay, we're going way back. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can Google it, okay? Um, there's a lot of people here like, I got no clue what you're talking about. I wasn't even born then. That's okay. But what we have to understand is we, we think if we just don't mess up, we'll be okay. But what leads us to the point of messing up, what leads us to the point of action, we have already messed up if we're not guarding ourselves. So what we have to do is say, before I get to that point, I want to guard myself so I don't even get to that point. I don't want to get to the point of action. I don't want to get to the point where I have to stand up at a press conference and explain why I messed up and explain why I acted stupidly. This is what David did next. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse six, it says, so David sent word to Joab, who was one of his commanders, and he said, send me Uriah the Hittite. He said, okay, send me this woman's husband, right? I gotta fix this. And Joab sent Uriah to David, and when Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing, and how the people were doing, and how the war was going. So David brings him in and says, hey, buddy, how's everything going for you? Well, what's going on with the front? I just wanna hear, tell me, tell me honestly, what do you think about Joab? Is he doing good? I, I just wanna hear from you. How seedy is this? And please understand, David was called a man after God's own heart. But here he is, just dirty, just ugly. Verse 13, um, well, after verse seven, he, he tells him, he says, you know what, you worked hard. Why don't you go home and hang out with your wife? I know you could use a little time with her, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And Uriah refuses. He said, nope, you know what? All my men are back in battle. They're not, they're not sleeping with their wives in their warm beds at night. They're not with their families. I'm not gonna do it either. <laughs> so David is a little frustrated because he's not cooperating because his hope was that he'd go home, lay with his wife, and that it would cover up his sin. So after that failed in verse 13, it says, and David invited him, invited him and he ate in the presence and drank so he, that he made him drunk. So David got him drunk so that maybe he could Convince him to go home and sleep with his wife. And in the evening, he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of the Lord, but he did not go down to his house. So he still, even in this drunken state, would not go home. 
Verse 14, now listen to this. This is nefarious. Verse 14, it says, and in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter, he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. So David wrote a letter to his commander and said, hey, send this man to the front where the the fighting is the worst and then withdraw from him so that he's left alone and to ensure that he's killed in battle. And not only did he send that order, but he sent it in Uriah's own hand. Do you, do you see the complexity and the depth of what we're dealing with here? David had, had fallen to a point that he didn't even see where he'd fallen. He was deceiving himself. So he's, he's gone way beyond sin at this point where now he's, He's plotting a man's death. He's plotting his murder. See, David attempted to cover it up. So after the action comes the cover-up most of the time. Where we go, man, I hope nobody saw what I just did. I hope nobody finds out. Have you ever slipped on the ice before? What's your first response? It's not usually to grab the part like, ah! My first response, and if we're gonna be honest, isn't your first response to go, you get up and you're like, I'm fine. And then like 10 minutes later, you're like, oh my gosh, like my back, right? But what are you trying to do? Did anybody see this? Did anybody see me? Can I cover this up? Can I play it off? Maybe nobody will know. That is our natural inclination. This is what David did. He, he got Uriah drunk. He, he had him murdered. And you have to wonder, again, from the outside looking in, you know, this doesn't even make sense, right? Like, this is just stupid. This is a dumb plan. But David, I can imagine him justifying this and saying, I've got too much to lose. I'm the king of this kingdom, and he is just a commoner. It's, it's an easy trade-off because my life is too valuable. My life is too important. And he justifies even the death of Uriah. There's a Chinese proverb that says this. He has too many lice to feel an itch. I think there are people like that. They get so hardened to their sin that they don't even realize what they're doing is wrong. The Holy Spirit can't even convict anymore because they're so hardened to what they're doing and how they're acting. I think David was to the point that he was so selfish and so caught up in what he was doing that he, he couldn't even feel the tug of the Holy Spirit on his heart. We've got to be really careful because when we get to this place, we're beyond the danger zone. Character creep is destroying us left and right. Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 26 says this. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house and she became his wife and she bore him a son but the thing that David did, uh, David had done displeased the Lord. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. This is, again, let me just help you understand this. So not only did David cover this up, but he looked like the hero for bringing this poor widow um, into his home and making her a wife of the king. He looked like a hero. He played all this out and he thought, I got away with it. Nobody's ever gonna know. Then one day, 
He had a conversation. Now, I'm not gonna read you the passage, but it's in, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, the prophet of the Lord named Nathan comes to David. <clears throat> he said, hey, David, let me, let me tell you this story. There was a, um, <clears throat> a rich man. He had flocks of sheep, hundreds of sheep. I'm paraphrasing. He said he had more sheep than he knew what to do with. <clears throat> and he came to town and he found this one poor family and they had one little ewe lamb. And the ewe lamb was like family to them. It slept with them at night and they took care of it and they fed it by hand. It was in their home with them. And that rich man took that little ewe lamb for himself and he fed it to some friends. What do you think about that man? And David said, that guy should be killed. I can't believe somebody would do that. And he was outraged at the loss, outraged that someone would do that. Then Nathan said, well, you are that man. He called him out. The Holy Spirit had revealed it to Nathan. And again, this reveals David's depravity because he hears his own story and he's outraged, but he doesn't recognize it's his story. We can look at our own situation and justify it and go, well, of course I need to act like that. Of course I need to say that. Of course I need to do this. I wouldn't have to do that if my wife treated me like I deserve. You know, I wouldn't have to do that if my husband was nicer to me. I wouldn't have to act that way if people knew how they were in real life. So we justify it. Then we hear it from a third source and we go, well, hey, that sounds terrible. Yeah. The truth is that, that I am the man and you are the man. We are the ones that are committing the sin and living this lifestyle and, and doing these things. And we have to recognize that character creep is waiting for us to bend the truth, to mismanage small decisions, to take a haphazard approach to the details of our life. And it's time for us to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm, I'm done sacrificing the little things in my life. The little things matter. The little things are important. Um, I really hate the movie Titanic a lot. Um, <laughs> but it's a fascinating story, not the movie. Spoiler alert, the boat goes down. And the old lady still has the necklace. I'm just telling you. She really loved Leonardo DiCaprio. She would have gotten off the door and let him get on the door, but she didn't. She let him die, okay? Not cool. I don't like the movie, but the story is really interesting because, um, oh, in April, I think it was in 1919, the Titanic set sail. It was supposed to be unsinkable. It was a marvel of modern science. They were gonna make the trek from Europe to New York in record time. And they were doing it with all these celebrities and all these, all these people from aristocracy on board and they were gonna make headlines. But what they didn't realize is that they were heading into an ice field. And most people think it was the ice field. It was, the, the, it was that one iceberg that sunk the Titanic, but that wasn't the case. In fact, in 1998, some news stories started coming out that perhaps it wasn't the hole damage, the tear in the hole that caused the problem. What they realized was when they excavated the, the wreckage from the bottom of the ocean, they pulled up some rivets that they had tested and they realized that some of the rivets were faulty. And so they theorized that maybe 
there, were, there was a problem with the rivets. So about 10 years later, they came back in 2008 and they did a more extensive study. And you know what they found? They found that three million rivets, tiny rivets found in the Titanic were faulty. The manufacturer was under pressure to get the boat done quickly. They didn't have enough materials. They didn't have enough people to do the work. And so they cut corners. They decided to use a substandard uh, type of metal that had more, um, more flaws in it. So they didn't use the best thing they could. They cut some corners. And because of that, when the boat hit that iceberg, the pressure from the iceberg caused thousands of rivets to buckle. So it wasn't that there was a huge gash in the side of the ship as much as it was that all these rivets came undone because they were faulty. See, it's easy for us to think, I'm gonna manage the big stuff in my life. I'm, I'm gonna take care of the big things. But what we have to understand is that the little things matter. The little things count. The rivets of your life is what determines what you will do when the pressure comes. The rivets of your life is what will determine if there will be a whole failure or not in your life. Over 1,500 people died because three million rivets were faulty. See, in your life, you have to decide, are the rivets of my life in place to protect my family, to protect my reputation, to protect my witness as a Christian, to protect my job, to protect my legacy that I'm gonna leave someday? Because how many of you know, when you fail, a lot of times that's your lasting legacy. A lot of times that's all people will remember about you. But it doesn't have to be that way. If we will safeguard ourselves, if we'll protect ourselves, if we'll guard our hearts, God can protect us from character creep happening in our lives. God can guard you. God can help you set some standards and put some things in place. So this is what I would say to you today. Take a, take a look at your personal business and spiritual life and reevaluate yourself tonight. And ask yourself, what are the small areas of my life that maybe I let slide? What are the little things in my life that I don't think really matter that much, but maybe I need to take another look at them? What are, what are the things that I think, well, it's not sinful, but maybe now I need to look at it and go, okay, but I need to adjust this. I need to shift this, whatever it might be. And, and maybe you take another step and ask someone else you trust to take a look at those as well. Maybe you ask your spouse. Maybe you ask uh, somebody spiritually that you trust to look at some of the areas of your life and give you some feedback. This is what I would tell you. Never do anything today that you'd be uncomfortable reading about in the papers or seeing on the news tomorrow. How would, how would we live our lives differently today if we knew that our lives were gonna be broadcast at 10 p.m. tomorrow night on, on the local television? We would probably live a little differently. And this is my challenge to you. Live your life that way. Live your life with that kind of scrutiny so that you don't have to be the one making excuses or, or giving a press conference. Now, this is what I would tell you. Maybe you're here and you've already blown it. Maybe you're here and you have done crazy things. Maybe you're here and you recognize that you're like David and you go, man, I, I've messed up already. <laughs> what can I do? How, how can I recover from this? And this is the beautiful thing about the God we serve. The God we serve is a God of second chances. And and third chances, and fourth chances. He is a God that will forgive and forgive and forgive. No matter how often you blow it, no matter how far you run, no matter how stupid you've acted, God will forgive you. 
I'm thankful that in Romans it says, uh, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, Christ died for us when we blew it, when we were at our worst, when we were unlovable, he loved us. When we hit rock bottom, Jesus said, I still love them. He said, I still love you. You're still worth it. So if you're here and you've blown it, and you've blown it big time, guess what? God still loves you like crazy. He's still in hot pursuit of your soul. He still wants to be in a relationship with you. So no matter what you've done or how far you've run, God is here to meet with you. God is here to bring you home. Let's pray. God, I love you tonight. And I'm so grateful that you are a good God. I'm so grateful that you are a God that forgives us. And you don't just forgive us once, over and over and over, God. I'm thankful for that. God, I pray right now that you would convict our hearts, that you would draw us in. Lord, let us feel your presence in this place, Lord, and let us experience you. And as we do, God, let our hearts be changed and conformed into your image. So God, have your way with us over these next couple of minutes. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, <clears throat> if you're here tonight and you say, Mel, I'm that person. <laughs> I've messed up and I need, I need God's forgiveness. I need, to make, I need to make Jesus Lord of my life. I wanna be in a relationship with him. I, I, I want a new start. I wanna experience the love of God. And I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired of living my life like I have. And I, I want... God to be Lord of my life. I'm gonna live my life for him, not for myself anymore. If that's you, I'm not gonna make you come forward. I don't wanna embarrass you. I just wanna pray with you right where you're at. So if you're here tonight and you say, they'll pray for me, I've blown it and I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. Would you just put your hand up real high where I can see it? Nobody's looking around except me. Thank you. Over here on my right. Thank you. Another hand on my far right. You can put your hand down. Awesome. Thank you. Who else would join these? Thank you, ma'am. You can put your hand down on my left. Thank you. Couple more hands on my left down here in the center section, two hands. You can put your hands down. Fantastic. Anyone else says, that's me, pray for me. Thank you. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. All right, this is what I wanna do. I wanna say a really simple prayer and I want everybody in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, just to repeat this prayer after me. So everyone repeat this prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me when I was at my worst. Thank you for dying on the cross and paying the price for my sin. I am yours. I'm never going back to my old ways or my old habits or my old life. I commit to follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you for forgiving me and for loving me. I confess you as Lord and I will do my best to glorify you with everything I am. In Jesus' name, amen.